weird. I feel weird. All right. Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your, I guess, sort of moderator today um, for like a minute, um, Father Chuck. Um, I am here, as always, with my two good friends, JP and Matt. What's up? Hi. <laughs> so I, I just want to take a moment. I, I appreciate JP letting me do the intro because, um, so funny story. You're doing a good job, by the way. Thank you. Um, thank you. Um, I've, I've learned from the master. Um, but um, I, uh, um, funny story, um, last night, which is Monday night, we always record on Monday. So you guys were coming back from Fan Expo, which you guys are going to talk about. Yeah. But so we had, had this plan in motion to where we were going to do an episode, just Patrick and I, Father Fun and I. Um, we had, um, and the idea was maybe even jokingly talk about doing a backdoor pilot to a spinoff podcast um, from this, that where we talk about um, Star Trek and Deep Space Nine, I mean, and, um, and uh, Battlestar Galactica and stuff. Okay, so Patrick and I, um, he's at he's at camp, like he's at youth camp. We had this whole great bit about how we had taken over the Episcopalians were taking over the Masters of Divinity, and you know we made jokes about you know we were going to redo the intro to where we chanted it, and that the smell of <laughs> incense would pour through the speakers and all this stuff. Anyway, so we did this great like hour long episode, and then I went to listen to it right afterward, and I had I had forgotten to record my vocals. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Father Fun got to uh, have a one-sided conversation. Um, so I don't, it, I don't know what we might do with this. Uh, probably not. <laughs> um, but anyway, so there is a, so we can now officially say there is a lost episode yeah. of Masters of Divinity out there. So those who have trivia um, one day when we are pop culture superstars and people are, you know, they're going to say, hey, I have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a bootleg, I have a bootleg copy, an, a cassette tape copy of the one-sided lost episode. You, you should just make cassette copies of it and just go to like thrift stores and just drop them off and just see where they circulate, where they go. That would be pretty fun. That would actually be really fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think we will someday. We're going to have a competition with it. And uh, we just need we need fans who write us. And if you write us and you're listening and you want to do this – um, I think it, I think it's a great idea that well, we'll do like your best uh, ten to fifteen minute conversation with Father Fun, where we will send you the one sided conversation, and you can fill in all yeah. the blank spots that were Father <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you what exactly you would win, but it would still be really funny. It would be really funny. It will, and we'll figure out some prize. Well, can I can I just say? I, apparently, you guys like picked up like a new fans for us. We did. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, following the Twitter stuff, because you know, as, as I as I mentioned uh, on a couple places there on our Facebook and, and everything, I'm you know I'm not jealous, not jealous. You guys uh, <laughs> went and did all this. Um, uh, uh, my yeah. my family was a very big fan of the video that you posted, Chuck. <laughs> yes, I um, I we're gonna talk, I'm sure, plenty about Fan Expo Dallas. But um, one of my highlights was your Facebook Live video, <laughs> um, where you stared blankly into the computer screen for a good 45 seconds while your two children just crawled around you making all sorts of noise. And then my wife is making noise in the background. And then you're finally just like, yeah. So while you're with George Takei, this is me. (laughs) And that was pretty much the video. What was funny is Matt showed that to me. We were sitting in on uh, the, the Kevin Smith podcast when we saw that. And the guy sitting next to me, I laughed really hard, and he just left. <laughs> Kevin, yeah, he got up and walked out when Jason started laughing. That's yeah. great. And Kevin Smith, while, but while we're on that one, because that's probably the one we'll talk the least about, because that's <laughs> probably. an us moment. We'll just let that go. But he allowed a fan to roundhouse kick a Red Bull can out of his hand on stage. I saw that. What's that um, video? We were all waiting for for him to get a kick right to the face. I was recording in case it happened, but it did awesome. not. But um, but yeah, he did. Well, good. I will say that one of the things since I just brought this whole thing about the fan expo, I know you guys talk about it more, but apparently we got a, our little podcast. If you're listening to us right now, chances are you are some form of Doctor Who fan. We Probably, love yeah. Whovians. You so are yeah, favorite. yeah, totally. So welcome. Welcome so, to Whoville. This was something that Funston and I, that Father Fun and I talked about, and we realized, like, did, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit my trepidation 
around the Whovian thing. And, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with Doctor Who as a franchise. Um, yeah. I've not seen much of it, so I can't really make a, a, a value judgment. I'm very don't, don't stop listening. We're talking next. No, I, no I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in being converted. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll lay that out. But here's my trepidation around it is I'm an Episcopalian. And in the Episcopal Church, there is a huge stereotype of Anglophile just nonsense of really? Episcopalians, yes, who pretend that they're British, who, you know, every <laughs> BBC drama, you know, they watch it. They, you know, they're, they, they talk about the Queen. Father Fun and I made big jokes about all this stuff on our last episode. But anyway, um, so that's my trepidation around it. It's like, oh, here's a British thing. Of course, the Episcopalian is going to be into the British thing. So that's like, I just, I'm trying to avoid, I want to avoid that stereotype. You know, I'm not a Tory. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Tory. I'm not a, I'm not a gin swilling, you know, monarchist. Not a, not a, not a blimey. What? <laughs> blimey. Limey? You mean limey? Blimey? It's, <laughs> it's blimey. not blimey? I'm pretty, sure, pretty sure blimey is just a, a, a this is something, oh, it's just like an exclamation. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't limey, know. a limey is <laughs> a thing. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a wanker. Yanker, Yanker. I don't know what I'm doing. Yanky? I should shut up. Please stop talking. Yanky. Please, please. Again, um, Tolkien's. Please don't stop listening. All right. We still love you. Um, no, I. JP can attest to the fact that I was a huge Doctor Who fan um, to the point where I think I got you to start. Matt got me into it. Yeah, I got him into Doctor Who. Um, but on full disclosure. The way, because of my life and children and all that good stuff, the way I tend to be a Doctor Who fan is right toward the end of the current Doctor's phase is when I binge watch the whole thing. Hmm. So I've seen very little of um, the latest one with Peter Capaldi. Um, so we went, the first one we went to was Jenna Coleman because I, the last thing I was really into was her storyline where she was the impossible girl. And I was like super excited. She's here. I want to go see it. Um, Chuck, Jenna Coleman is a, what a Dr. Whovian would call a companion. I I know, I know, I know enough about it, man. (laughs) I know about, I know about the, the TARDIS. I know about the, I know about the companions. I love the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. Um, um, we learned all sorts of things about the TARDIS. Um, it has a swimming pool. Um, we learned that. Um, I always knew that, but but, but it. Uh, <laughs> but I, he's just gonna. Look this is what we're gonna do now. Who got who into this? <laughs> who who who? Um, he. Uh. So JP and I joked that we are going to start a Doctor Who podcast and live off of it for the rest of our life. Um, <laughs> But no, but I'm a huge fan, but I haven't seen a lot of the new ones. So we went to Jenna Coleman, um, posted a picture and started to get a little bit of a response. So we thought maybe we should go to another Doctor Who thing. We went to a panel and like I'm going to the Doctor Who event, the Doctor Who event, Tales from the TARDIS, (laughs) Michelle Gomez, Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman on the stage answering questions and stuff. And um, our Twitter exploded, blew up. Like, I I couldn't keep up with it. And we talked about this on the live video, but, like, four people saw that. So I'll say it again. Um, it, like, exploded. to the For the first time ever in my life, I had to turn my phone notifications off because it me went to sleep at night. Um, and what we found out, though, the, the moral of this story, what we found out is that Michelle Gomez is, like, the coolest human being on the face of the earth. Absolutely. And we just want to, like, go to every event she's at and hear her speak because she is hilarious. Um, so funny. Yeah, if you look at the, the Twitter feed, we've got the quotes and videos up from her, but it just doesn't do it justice as being in the room. My favorite, we rushed to her panel where she's by herself. Um, we rushed to that at, uh, in the morning on the last day because we're like, we can't miss this because she's amazing. Um, and this little girl starts crying in the audience. And she's like the, the nicest. She's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. And she's like, goodbye, little Missy. Um, which for, for Chuck, who's not um, at all with the Doctor Who people, Missy is the name of her character. On the okay. show. So she goes, goodbye, little Missy. And he takes the girl out of the room. As soon as the girl leaves, her response is, yeah, bring her back. Just don't let her interrupt me again. <laughs> and, like, everyone's dying laughing. She's just, she said some other things which are pretty funny. Um, oh, she's, she's hilarious. You should, you should definitely check out the... Uh, 
the YouTube videos if you missed them, which I don't know how you could have because um, you all kept retweeting them. I know because I couldn't sleep. So you've probably <laughs> seen them already, but if you missed them, go to at MOD underscore podcast. Scroll down some. You'll find lots of good uh, Doctor Who videos. So here's real quick. Two things I just want to say is uh, two things. I, I think it's hilarious that um, we had – New York Times bestselling author, friend of Oprah, world world famous mover and shaker Rob Bell on our podcast, right. and uh, which I realize I think we've mentioned this podcast every episode. Every since. episode, had, yeah, just about every episode, yeah. And um, yeah, who spoke but, with the New York New York Times bestseller? Oh, we did, we did, we did, but we didn't get nearly the traction off of it than we did no. Doctor Who fans. No. So <laughs> applaud yourselves. A poorly taken photo got more response, and we were like, "What is going on?" And then we went to a panel, and our world changed. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> the, but the other thing that I really like is because um, you know we've done a lot of episodes around fandom and um, and all of that, and, and, and yeah. sure we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things I'm very intrigued by about Peter Capaldi that. I, I, the only thing I know about him as the doctor, see, I got it right. He's the doctor. He's not Doctor Who. He's the doctor. I know things. You, you're, you're coming along just fine, Sean. Um, yeah, mm, yes. Oh, mm, yes. <laughs> a spot of tea. The, the title comes more from the response of everybody he comes in contact with. They're like Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, that's, that's but the uh, but one of the things I'm fascinated that I think is very interesting about him is he's like a like Peter Capaldi himself is like a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I mean, mm-hmm. he grew up with the show. Most British actors are. Yeah, but I'm saying like I mean, hearing I've read I've read an interview with him a couple like back when he first started about like what it was like for him to have been like, you know, until I have photos of him as a child meeting Mm -hmm. the various actors who play the Doctor, and then he's the Doctor. That's kind of cool. It would be it would be like to put an equivalent to it for me. It would be like me being cast as James Bond. Right. (laughs) I would have a heart attack. Right. Which, um, by the way was a very good year for, for Britain and their entertainment when James Bond and Doctor Who were created because they both had their 50th anniversary the same year. Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of the year for them, I think. Not that they haven't done amazing things since, if they're listening now. But um, but that was a very good year. Do- Doctor Who and James Bond. Yeah. Well done. Well done, England. You totally. Gave the world, you gave the world James Bond. Doctor Who and America. Beatles. And Beatles. And sometimes I'm like, you know, with things things like Doctor Who and James Bond out there, maybe we shouldn't have left so quickly. Maybe America (laughs) should have hung around for a while, stayed a part of England. (laughs) Well, the way things are going right now, political landscape, it might might not be too far behind. Um, But, uh, ooh, we're edgy. We're edgy here at Masters of Divinity. Don't don't, don't cut anybody with that edge, man. Um, So, (laughs) nice. So, Jake, you, you were about to say something. What was it you were going to say before I rudely interrupted you with my two points? <laughs> oh, I was going to drop some Doctor Who knowledge on you so you know who we were talking about. Oh, but, I, I, you know, look, let, let me discover <laughs> it. Let me discover it. How about that? Let's... I'll let you discover it. You know, you look up Michelle Gomez. I was going to tell you what her character was, but you know what? Maybe you should experience it on your own. Uh, you know, let me, let, me, let, me, let me go on this journey with you guys, but, like, <laughs> in my own way. Well, but, I got to say, the, uh, the event itself was uh, a blast. We had so much fun. The second day, especially a Saturday, which was an all, which is when the only day it was like an all day event. We wore ourselves totally out. Like in the morning, we woke up, we went straight to the convention center for uh, a panel with um, uh, two cast members of Daredevil. You had John Bernthal as the Punisher and Eldon Henson as Foggy. Uh, they were there together at the panel, and um, they were wonderful. They were great. Then after that, we had, of course, because the previous night, that our great success with the Doctor Who panel, and also because we just loved the experience, the, the, those fans set that place on fire, and that cast members interacted. Those, those cast members interacted so well with their fans. Peter Capaldi had his own Q and A after the Daredevil panel, which we went to, and it was just as great. As yeah. Before. Well, and, and and you know, one of the things uh, you know, you, you were you were in particular were saying, JP, or both of you were saying in one of the Facebook Live videos, was that um, the, the 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 Doctor Who fans, the Whovians, redeemed our your stereo, like your your feelings on fandom in general. That if a lot of fandom uh, yeah. is toxic, the Whovians are not. I would say so. Um, um, you know, going into the expo, I'll be honest, I, I, I kind of had a. Uh, sort of a negative mindset toward fans and fandom in general because there were some um <laughs> Devin Faraci, our, our mm-hmm. one of our favorite our writers. Someday uh, he'll be our friend. <laughs> uh he wrote an article about uh, how fandom is broken last week. Yes. And the article Bombshell Bombshell article. Uh, yeah, it was trending on Twitter and everything was weird. Um 
basically just highlighting like why fandom is broken. It's like how this uh, connectivity we have from fans to creators uh, has kind of made things worse and that, you know, creators are getting death threats because uh, they're not molding the story to how fans want. And uh, he even mentioned some things about how even things like wanting more progressive things to happen within fandoms is also kind of toxic. And that just like, oof, like that just made it worse. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and so I would, I, I was, I was just, I was very upset with fandom. I was like, fandom sucks. And I'm like, I'm going to go into this fan expo and I just know I'm going to come out the other end of it. Like Hunter S Thompson going to Las Vegas. Like, I don't know if anyone in our audience is familiar with fear and loathing in Las Vegas or whatever, <laughs> but, um, I was just prepared to go in like cynically minded. Like this all sucks. Uh, everyone here hates the creators. Uh, everything is terrible, but the dark, and, and it was kind of starting to look that way a little bit with our first panel that we went to, which was William Shatner. And it was such a weird, weird. experience. So weird. Just a weird experience. It, he came out and it was, it was lovely. It was nice. Oh, Cause like one of the first thing I noticed, he, he came out on his own with no moderators. Like, Oh, he's going to do this whole thing by himself. That's yeah. pretty cool. But, but and he, but he walked out, waved and said what? Immediately launched into why he didn't go to Leonard Nimoy's funeral. It was the weirdest thing. That is weird. Well, it's there was no hello. There was no I. I'm so excited to be here with you. Immediately, he launches into a story about how he didn't go to Leonard Nimoy's funeral and why. Well, you know, appropriateness of that aside, I kind of when you guys, you know, you talked about that a little bit on the on one of the Facebook Live videos and. So, I mean, I, in a way, like, I mean, cause, because fandom is broken in a way, in a lot of ways, I'm sure he had to say something because they would probably, there are probably people in that room who would just do nothing but hammer him about that that's if he didn't true. acknowledge it from the, from the get-go. And that's a really unfortunate thing. I mean, should he have gone to the funeral? Probably. I kind of feel like, you know, one of your best well, his, friends dying is, is a major thing. But at the same time, you his, know. His reasoning was that he said that celebrities live and die even if they're legends. And they'll all soon be forgotten. But it's our good deeds that'll be remembered forever. So I went to a Red Cross event instead. Yeah. It was just, it was odd. The the atmosphere of that moment, the the way he did it. And then he said, and, and that's my hello. It was like the weirdest thing. We're all like, what? Like, can I just say, can I just say, if either of you skip out of my funeral to attend some hippy dippy volunteer event, I'm haunting you. That's cool. So, so you're saying we should? Because then we, we get to totally hang out with him more. We should both skip out for two different reasons, and then we will do a podcast with JP's ghost. That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> the William Shatner panel was weird, um, and you know we talk about it in our video. Go check our video out for more detailed answers on why it was kind of weird. But it didn't really help my attitude and my mindset that much. Our next panel, Haley Atwell, uh, who plays Agent Carter in Captain America: First Avenger, and of course, the uh, ill-fated Agent Carter series helped a little bit because she had such grace and poise and she knew how to talk to fans so it was nice but when we went to Doctor Who the Doctor Who event it was like they just they just knew how to talk to fans they knew how to interact with them and the fans knew how to interact with them and, and it was like this 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 really <laughs> beautiful relationship and, and things started to click for us on what what almost kind of like what needs to like for once, I felt like there's a solution to all the madness, and I felt like the solution was in that arena. It sounds it sounds to me more like the relationship that that the who that that the who folks had with their fans is closer to like a musician mm-hmm. with yes. their fans, yeah, which was. is generally a lot of times pretty healthy in some ways. You know, like in the sense that like people don't generally music fans don't generally hate the musician and still try to be fans. Like, there's no one out there who's like. Like, I'm really, like, into the Beatles, but, like, I hate everything the Beatles do. Well, you know what I mean? Like, that they somehow take ownership of it outside of the Beatles. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's a lot. And, again, um, Devin Fracci's article talks some about that with art in general. Um, for those listening, it's at Birth Movies Death is, is their website. <clears throat> the article is Fandom is Broken, I believe, um, if you want to see what in the world we're talking about. But he talked about art in general and how... 
fans today believe that they have some kind of control over the art. Right. Like they should be able to say which direction it's going to go and which direction it's not. Um, a big one right now and that he talks about, so not just to rip off his stuff all night, but he wrote such a great piece on it that mm -hmm. I feel like if you oh, yeah. haven't read it, you should read it. Yeah, it's necessary. Um, but he talks about how fans try to shape and mold the artwork and try and make demands of it instead of allowing the artist to create and then experiencing it. And with Doctor Who and Whovians, that's the impression we got is that they just love nothing more than being pulled along for the ride of what these people are making to the point where um, we talked in episode three here about the Ghostbusters trailer and all of a sudden it's an all-female cast and the world explodes um, and it shows these horrible fans for Ghostbusters. Who would have thought that Ghostbusters had such like angry fans? It's unbelievable. But Doctor Who, and spoiler alert if you're not caught up on the latest Doctor, but Doctor Who it's all took... It's for me. Doctor Who took the master, a character played by a male. And for in this, nearly 50 uh, years, by the way. For nearly 50 years, played by a male. And in this season, it's Missy, a female. And the Doctor Who fans ate it up and loved it. There's no outrage. <laughs> Dude, there's fury. They just loved it. And like, and guess how many death threats she got on Twitter? Zero. None. Zero. Guess how many None. marriage proposals she probably got. It's probably through <laughs> the roof. Um, but yeah, they just absolutely loved it. Like... And, and what I, I mentioned in the article that we talked about is I really think that Doctor Who and Trekkies, to put it out there, is another fandom that I would say is right there with Whovians for the most part. But, they, but it, especially with the new Star Trek, especially, hey, I'm, I'm, let me finish. Wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> but especially with, like, the new Star Trek and stuff, we're seeing a darker side of that also. Like Star Wars, we're seeing a darker side of the Star Wars fandom. But for a long time, Trekkies were kind of right there with them. For a long time. Um, but What's what I dark think, about Star Trek fans? Now, hey, you said Trekkies. Well, Trekkies, we've seen kind of a, a, like kind of a side of it where there's, there's a negativity toward... Oh, with the reboot and stuff. The reboots and things like that. There's a negativity towards changes. There's a negativity toward accepting oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, fact yeah, that yeah. it grows. But, but I really think, and this, and this, this could, it's my opinion, but I really think that... Star Trek was originally, and George Takei telling the history of Star Trek, by the way, amazing. We sat in on the George Takei panel, and he just gave, like, a history of Star Trek. Um, and it was founded... I love, I love him. It was founded on expressing the importance of um, difference and acceptance um, was what Star Trek was meant to portray. And Doctor Who, to me, is the same thing. It was founded on accepting change and difference. Um, companions even doctors, it's built into the story that they're going to change, mm -hmm. that you don't know what's coming next, is that it's okay, whatever happens is, is what's going to happen. And because of that, these fandoms that grew out of it are accepting of change. They're like, this is part of the journey. Like, I don't, I don't have to fight you about, no, this has to stay a certain way because there is no quote-unquote certain way for it to stay. It's like actually part of the art is the fact that it is built around the acceptance of change and the story moving forward for the purpose of right. telling a bigger story. Yeah. And I wonder the, the most the most defining aspect of, of nerd culture is that nerds don't like change. Right. Well and I am curious as you guys are talking about this, I'm curious if that might be if there might be a difference between British thing like British fandoms and American fandoms because I just heard an NPR today. I mean, there's been some major, major stuff coming out of the Harry Potter camp um, because of the uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the musical um, right. that that's coming out. Um, I which think it's a musical, but I think it's I think it's just a play. It's just a play. Okay, whatever. Well, the play like it's in preview right now. It's already. Right. It's already sold out. It's already like a huge thing, breaking records and stuff, and no one's actually seen it except for preview audiences. But people are really – there's been a lot of a lot of upset stuff on the internet over the fact that um, the woman who's playing Hermione in it is, a, is an African-American woman. Um, and apparently or just, just this – British. Week, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Can't say African-American. <laughs> that's right. Good point. She's black, black British. Um, yeah, Okay. This Arguments over. Okay, so anyway, so so J.K. Rowling goes on goes on the internet and says that you know her fans are being racists, which is you know it's pretty strong language coming from you know the 
you know, the, the person. Um, but I'm curious if what I didn't hear in the article too much was that um, is whether or not or in the, in the in the piece today on NPR, what I didn't hear was whether or not this was an American reaction or a British reaction. And I would be curious to find out if, you know, the Brit, if British, if the, if the British fandom for Harry Potter is a little more accepting of this idea than the American well, fandom. Well, I mean, as far as as far as the Whovians go, though, we were sitting in a, the most American audience you're going to get. This is a good point. We were yeah. in the yeah. we were in the heart, Texas. We are in the heart of Texas. Good point. Um, good point. So it's as American as it's going to go. So, and I don't even want to say that it's like it. Ha- it's the art that is doing it. Because um, I think Doctor Who has cultivated an audience that's accepting. But um, that's not to say that every show has to do it their way or they're doing it wrong. What I'm saying is something about Doctor Who has drawn in fans mm-hmm. that are accepting of that. Um, that's, yeah, okay. And because I don't want to say, like, um, Star Wars, it's their fault that their fans gave the outrage, because I don't think that works either. That's a good point. Um, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to blame Can it I... on on the on the people creating, unless the work is obviously tilted in one way or the other. I don't want to blame it on them. It's something about the fans that were attracted to that particular art. Can I make a kind of a bold statement? And this is just a guess. I made this statement of the day to a friend because I was having this conversation with her. That was kind of, I was impressed with the fandom of Doctor Who, and I was inspired by it. Um, I think a lot of it has to do, and I've known this ever since I got into it. When you got when you got me into it, Matt, was that Doctor Who attracts uh, at least New Who uh, attracts a lot of women. Hmm. Women love Doctor Who. Like it's just kind of a it's it's kind of one of those like that's a good point tropes where well, it's like there was a time when like women had no idea who Doctor Who was because it's like you had to watch it on the PBS and blah blah. blah. Now it's like women love Doctor, Who, especially because it's David Tennant. Right, and right? that's he's dreamy. He's and a dreamy man. And sorry, yeah. sorry if I'm I, if I'm if you weren't done, but that's one of the things I do want to give Doctor Who credit for. Um, if you were going to say it, finish what you're going to say. Oh, I was going to say that maybe because uh, the fan base is. And at least I noticed this at at the the Q and A's. The fan base was predominantly uh, women and very young children. That mm-hmm. because of the absence of majority male, like older male fan base, there's less entitlement. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there because I feel like this is one area I can speak with authority on. Um, White males need to get over themselves. <laughs> um, and other than that, that is one area I also want to give Doctor Who, though, the franchise credit for, is something I think that show does incredibly is the companion that goes with him on every journey. It's it's always a female, and she's always as integral to the story, if not more so, to the story being achieved than the Doctor himself. He's like the character that ties it together, but nine times out of ten, it's a companion that's steering the story, and that is why he accomplishes anything at all. Like, the the female lead in Doctor Who is usually the voice that, that actually accomplishes the change. She's the one that keeps this man from losing himself completely by bouncing around the galaxy, doing whatever he wants for fun, or punishing people at times. She's the one that is the voice of logic, reason, excitement, hope. It's usually the companion. And one of the things that drew me to the, the Jenna Coleman, um, the Jenna Coleman answer, the panel, is that um, her character, like without her, I think the doctor wouldn't even exist anymore, was pretty much her storyline. The impossible girl is the one that, that kept him around. Women are not a toss-aside character like they tend to be in a lot of American artwork. Um, Literature, movies, they tend to be kind of a side thing leading the story along. Where in Doctor Who, they are, um, at at the very least, they are an equal partner. And at times, they're actually the hero. And he's kind of just the supporting one in the story. He's the main character of the franchise. Yeah. And I'm, uh, just to get a little bit back to the, the, the cultural differences, what, and why I'm intrigued by this, you know, not to say that, you know, is it say that like, so it's interesting to me that Dr. Who 
not that they intended this from the beginning, but the change is an okay thing, right? Um, and you see that with other major James Bond. Change is an important part of Bond, right? Every few years we get a new Bond. Everybody's kind of you know, you know, interest, interested in that. So long as you know, obviously we we have problems yeah, with the idea of Idris Elba being a. Just put James Bond. Bond in your Google search right now and see him. What happens though when James Bond is in discussions about change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah, can't yeah. say it's as accepting as Doctor Who. True, <laughs> but I, I, what I'm wondering, what I sometimes wonder about. The differences here and where I think some of the toxicity that we see in, in fandom, because I think a lot of fandom is largely American. I think it, I think we drive this ship in a lot of ways and just in general terms because Hollywood, we produce the stuff. Um, but is uh, this is something I've been very interested in, in differences between Europe and America for a long time is that, you know, British and continental you know, history is very old. You know, thousands of years of history. You know, they've got you know buildings in your main street square that are you know you know, thousand, you know over a thousand years old. In America, you know, we joke that you know is an old Eddie Izzard bit, which is um, you know this building is over fifty years old. This is like you know some piece of history. Right. Um, you know, so in America, we had to kind of create our own culture and history. You know, because we didn't. You know, we, we, we subjugated the people, we pushed them to the margins, and then we started our own world, and we tried to kind of try to write our own mythology and everything. And I think that's one of the reasons why Americans have a, a proclivity toward fundamentalisms, because we want things to stay fixed, because this was when we created it, and any derivation from that is seen as innovation and, and is problematic. And I wonder about that, how much in our culture, like that, you know, the reason why we have people that are str- such strict literalists around the Constitution. Because, like, I mean, you've got, like, Britain and other places. I mean, they, they rewrite their Constitution on a regular, pretty regular basis, and their countries are fine. Right. But, like, you know, we do anything in the Constitution. People act like we're, you know, like putting words in the mouth of God or something. Um, and I, so I wonder about how much of it is rooted in this sort of cultural narrative for us as Americans of things having to be fixed because we've had to create our own mythologies. Um, but well, I mean, and I definitely know, and this is not a comment. I'm not one of those, those new young people that's like America's horrible and we should oh, all yeah, leave no, no, and no, no, no. I'm not. I'm definitely not one of those. But I, I do at the same time very much believe that America struggles with 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 a huge entitlement issue, um, and I think it comes a lot from the fact that we. Um, our, the way we came up, the way that we're like a mm-hmm. pretty young, mm-hmm. we're a pretty young nation in comparison to everybody else. Um, and yet we have pr- the majority of the world's resources. So we're this small part of the world that has like all the resources that we're holding on to. Um, well, China, China has a lot of, and, and we, and I think it is, it's cultivated. There's definitely a built-in entitlement just by the name, just by saying I'm an American. Oh yeah. And um, and if you travel outside of the country, you can see there's resentment a lot of uh, a lot of times because of that. And it's it's the thing is a lot of people complain, oh they don't like Americans, and I'm like, no no no. Um, the resentment I'm talking about is very founded. Like, it, it just because I'm an American doesn't give me the right to speak as though I understand everything better than everybody else. Like I get how the world works and you're all in the dark ages. Yeah. I mean, well, we weren't around for, for the time that they were even there. For yeah. And I think, I, mean, I think it really comes down to perspective. I mean, I remember when I was in, when I was in Jerusalem, I was at the church of the Holy Sepulcher several years ago on the wall were these pilgrims crosses carved into the wall and you used to actually be able to touch them. They've now got like, things over them to keep people from touching them but like you could actually put your fingers in these pilgrims crosses and like people were telling me that these were like 1600 years old you know some of them were really really old i mean they're from the, the, I mean, they're medieval and like my, my buddy chris um who was with me he said wow he said these were carved back when america or he says seeing this makes you realize that america is just a young whippersnapper in terms of cultures in the world. And like that, that to me gave me a lot of perspective on it. And it's like, yeah, I don't think, like, I, yeah, I'm not an America hater at all. I, I love America. Um, but I think it's important for us to understand. I think, I think part of our problem in America is we, we don't have a good grasp of understanding who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why we've never had a great American novel. You know, we've never had like one novel that defines us as a people because it's, we're so hard to define. Um, I think you're wrong there, Chuck. And the name of that novel is The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. 
So, anyways, um, let's. Uh, what was I going to say? Well, I, 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 <laughs> if I can just jump in, I, I think one thing that I, for the sake of the, the the divinity aspect of this podcast, I think might be worth talking about. Since we've been talking about the uh, the Devin Faraci article, um, he makes the the assertion that fandom is religion, mm-hmm. that it's similar to a religion, and we've talked about this a little bit ourselves. Yes. And I've been thinking about this a Many lot. Times. But I've been thinking about this a lot the past few weeks, um, especially since I had my, um, you know, our last episode with Patrick last yesterday, and uh, we were talking about Star Trek because it's our plan is to do a Star Trek podcast, um, or you know, it'll start about a Star Galactica, but then we'll eventually get into Star Trek. But so I've been thinking about this a lot, and I realized there's a key difference. I think between, I think that's an easy dismissal to say that that fandoms like Star Trek are equal to religious belief. And I think I realize there's a key difference in this, and there's something that we overlook in that. It's I don't think there's a single person on the planet who would be willing to who would be willing to suffer death and torture for their fandom. And I think that's what sets religion and fandom apart. Like I can't think of anybody who would be willing to be fed to lions over their love for Star Wars. And there's some crazy football fans out there. Though. Oh, football. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Going back to America and the entitlement thing. Uh, I think that with fandoms, religion, all that stuff, the the one parallel I can see, um, again, and we've ta- I've talked about it some here, but one thing I can see is the the church in America, and how a lot of churches have a a strong sense of entitlement, mm-hmm. oh, and totally. because of that, and I think that this kind of speaks toward America too, um, because of that, we fight for comfort rather than the things we should actually be fighting for. Mm-hmm. And I think with fandoms, it's it's very similar that these fandoms fight for what they're comfortable with. They want it to stay a certain way. They yeah. want it to be the established story, the one that we are familiar with. And I, I see that problem. Which, I see that problem all the time in like church. Like we we want to stand up and fight for our right to to meet on a Sunday morning in a building and have a service, go from ten to eleven something in the afternoon, and then go home and sometimes. Um, not even remember we were there in the first place, but we want that. That's our right, mm-hmm. and and it's like, well, it's 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 not your right. It's a privilege that we have right now, and a privilege that if it was taken away, should in no way, shape, or form, way change the things that we're fighting for and what yeah. we're living for. And I feel like fandoms are kind of like the same idea. Like I, I grew up with Captain America. I, I, I love Captain America. He stands for all my values. And how dare you throw a curveball into the end of the story that I haven't even given you time to tell yet. Right. But how dare you throw a curveball and have him say, Hail Hydra. The world is ending. You've ruined my life. And well, literal death threats sent to the people who created this stuff. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really glad you brought that up, that, that one up. Because I, talk, I think we talked about this last episode a little bit. But, yeah, we did. Uh, well, I'm really glad you brought that up because – the whole status quo thing, because what, what, what intrigues me about this is on one, in one sense, everyone knows, everyone who's read comic books for a long enough time or participating in anything in this, that eventually the status quo is maintained. Everything kind of, you know, it's the point of a superhero, right? The, or the arc of every superhero story is it bends toward the, the status quo, right? It's sort of the opposite right. of Martin King Jr. Um, it, you know, the, the moral arc or whatever bends toward, the status quo. So everyone knows that every story, like when, like even when five years ago DC started the new Fifty Two, and they said this is the new status quo. I, even I knew, no, it's not. In a few years, you guys are going to change this again, and everyone knew that. And so, and so the thing is, is like we should be, we we should know that eventually we're going to get to the status quo, like the Captain America story or whatever. It, it's just, it's amazing to me that there are people who uh, they just don't, don't seem to pay attention to that. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is sort of like the. The death of Superman thing all over where the sort of on the edges fans who don't really read the comics and stuff really think that this is a lasting major thing and not realizing that this is part of a bigger plot line or whatever. I I don't know. But it it, it is such a fascinating thing to me. And at the same time, why can't we get people to be so passionate about things that matter than – whether or not Captain America is in Hydra. I know this is an old yarn, and it, it's it's insufferable to hear, but it's something I have to think of on a regular basis. Like, you will send a death threat to someone who wrote a story. You will find ways to, you know, you will do all kinds of creative things to get your message to them and to affect change in it. You will start hashtag campaigns 
around getting your favorite character to marry somebody or do something. Like you'll have all of this massive momentum around that. You can't do that for renewable energy. <laughs> you, you, you can't do that for love and justice for, for people in this country. I mean, it's, okay. it, it's, it's just such a crazy thing to me. Again, my statement on that is, again, we're fighting for comfort. Uh, I, for change. Yeah, I understand that. Um, but one thing I will say, but first, um, for everybody out there who's wondering, the predominant message from people running the Fan Expo and people question at the Fan Expo is Captain America's going to be fine, get over it, and just <laughs> wait, wait till the story's done. And that's coming from the people who are part of this stuff, not just us. Um, but the other thing I want to say, you, you, like you were talking about the status quo thing. Um, a shocker to to people out there and a, a shocker to fandoms and and to churches that are worried about losing our ability to to worship on a Sunday morning in a building the way I want it to be. Um, the status quo didn't always exist. The quote unquote status quo is there because somebody created something new and that new idea took off and gained momentum and changed the way we saw and interacted with things. Um, but if that person did not do something new, the thing that you love right now would not exist. Right. Um, so allow somebody to do something new and give them the chance to see where it's going because the chances are um, if you allow the artist and the people in charge of this stuff to tell their story, you're going to be shocked to find out it's better than what you wanted in the first place. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's it's like a, I get on a plane, JP, and the movie that they're showing is the Steve Jobs movie. And in that movie, he gives that quote that people don't know what they want till you show it to them. Um, we get so hung up on what we think we want that we if we were if we were only given what we want, the world would be a boring place. Right. The stuff that changes our lives and the stuff that revolutionizes art and movies and books and the stories that we love are the people who are like, I know what I want to tell. It's not, I know what the people want. If they give us what we want, we get horrible things like the Transformer franchise. It's <laughs> a lot of action and a lot of, a lot of nonsense, and big robots blowing things up. Um, action figures smashing yeah, together. Just, just ways to spend <laughs> our money. Um, no, but I think that if you, just, if you just stop yelling and allow these people to tell stories and to make changes and see where it goes before you start ranting and raving... Um, I think that people will be amazed that well, they'll be like, you know, the greatest moment in comic book history was when Captain America said Hail Hydra, because that's when everything brought on a whole new level of meaning yeah. and changed drastically. Well, it's like, so as you're talking, I'm thinking of um, this theologian, Catherine Pickstock, who I really like, um, British theologian. Hey, here we go. Um, she talks about in this essay um, where she talks about emergence and the concept of emergence um, and you know, says the language of emergence, like the, the imagery that something emerging evokes is something rising to the surface from under a body of water, like under the sea or whatever. And she says that when something emerges, as it's coming up, you don't know what it is, but in its process of emerging, all you can do is use references of stuff that's come before, right? So like, you know, if you see something coming from under the water and you know, you're going to, the first thing you're going to think is, is like sea monster or whatever, because like, that's just sort of where your brain's going. Like, this is unknown. Then maybe you see that it's the color gray. And now you're like, oh my gosh, it's a shark. You know, great white sharks are gray. But it's a shark. And then like, we don't talk about sharks on this podcast. Move on. Anyway, then is it, but then like it comes up and then like it's bigger and you're like, oh no, it's not a shark. It's too big to be a shark. And now you're like, oh, what is it again? And then eventually maybe you, as it emerges all the way out, you realize, oh, it's, it's actually a whale. Or, or something else, you know, completely different. But, like, as in that process of emergence is coming up, all you can do is ascribe to it the stuff that's come before. You don't know what it is until it fully emerges. And then once it fully emerges, it becomes a new thing. So, like, it's the same kind of concept of, like, with, with Steve Jobs saying people don't know what they want until you give it to them. You know, it's like new things come out. If we, you know, we can only work off of the, our current reference. We don't know something new exists until it exists. You know, so if we take like an idea as a trajectory and we go a certain way, like, you know, that's why I love I love reading like old like 60s and 70s and 80s books on the future because we had these ideas of what the future was going to be. But it was based off of the reference point that we have now. You know, it's like it's, it's, it's kind of funny to watch Star Trek sometimes and realize, you know, oh, they they had no concept of 
you know, touch screens and things like that, you know, like, you know, they had touch screens, but I mean, like they didn't have it the way we have it now, you know, we've simplified everything into one device, you know, they've got like five or six devices. Yeah, our iPhone is more amazing than the entire control panel on the enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In next generation. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is cause you're conjecturing out based off of your reference point now. Mm-hmm. And so if we, if we, if that's all we do, we miss out on stuff until something new comes along. But when something new comes along, we're often terrified of it because we don't have the language for it. Um, all we could do was ascribe to it reference points. I mean, that's why, you know, um, when Mary Shelley's Frankenstein came out, the Industrial Revolution, people started calling it the Frankenstein because, like, all this new stuff was coming and people were terrified of it. Um, and so they, they made it into a monster. Um, and in a lot of ways, I guess it probably was in retrospect. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Like, you, you, it's all you can do is use the language that you have. And so we get very scared of these things. We're just, you know, we're still, in some ways, we're still cavemen discovering fire, like, we're terrified of this thing. We don't know what it is, um, you know. But maybe we just got to chill out and let it play out, and then we can have a much more enjoyable life. And we can learn that change is a constant, and then we can accept that there's a new doctor and a new companion every few years, and life is happy. Yep. Bring, and bring it back to the important thing of Doctor uh, Brother Hoovian still listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one thing that kind of stuck out to me, and um. I'm thinking a lot about this, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I can't, I'm, I'm going to jump back into Doctor Who, like as soon as I get the chance. Uh, unfortunately, we picked the worst time to do it because apparently BBC has has yanked Doctor Who off of all the streaming sites because they want to start their own streaming service or something. God, this thing, yeah. Or, or, I think stick it, with what we're. I know. I think. Uh, you can, I find I think everything I don't said. be a bad fandom. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you can get it on Amazon though, but you see, you have to pay for it. Um, but. Uh, thinking a lot about it, you know, it's funny you bring up the status quo and how um, fandoms are, are pretty much obsessed with the status quo, especially if they're about the status quo. Like, superhero stories are about maintaining the status quo, even Star Trek, uh, Star Wars. You know, it's about legacy and tradition and withholding, upholding that tradition. There wasn't, um, and I think the beautiful thing about Doctor Who is that there really isn't a status quo to that show. I think there is a, a, a core that never changes, but everything around it is always changing. Um, another panel that we went to was uh, with Frank Miller. Um, Frank Miller, the author of uh, The Dark Knight Returns, author of Sin City, author of 300, uh, also artist. I shouldn't forget that. He's also the artist of those books. Um, legendarily known for basically changing the status quo of, of Batman. Batman used to be known as sort of the Adam West kind of Batman. And then he wrote The Dark Knight Returns, this really dark and gritty dystopian um, view of the guy. Um, and, and one thing that kind of struck me, you know, when, when we were waiting for the panel to begin, like, I had actually read another article before going in about how Frank Miller ruined Batman. Um, not intentionally, like I, I, uh, he, he just wanted to tell a story, but then everyone kind of chased his vision and retroactively kind of ruined Batman. But while we were sitting in on this panel for Frank Miller, like Matt and I were like cracking wise, like crazy <laughs> because like they were showing all of his like work on, on these, uh, giant screens next to us. And along with that slideshow, there was like this really deep, dark, edgy music playing like total, like new metal style, like do do. like all throughout the entire thing and we're just like what is this what are we doing here we actually debated on like not going like maybe frank miller apologizes for ruining batman we'll go to the q a but we ended up going anyway it sounds like like you like suddenly had like uh barbed wire tattoos on your biceps and stuff just (laughs) sitting in the room (laughs) yeah and so we sat in on the thing and i remember like uh you know the first one of the slides that shows up is frank miller and he's wearing like his fedora like, oh, God. Which he looks like Freddy Krueger. That is that is one thing I want to say. Um, the only thing I will say about the guy is he he scares me in my dreams now. He, he, <laughs> he looks like he looks oddly like like Freddy Krueger. But as a yeah. person, carry on, JP. Right. Um, but so then then the panel started. He came out and the Q and A began. And um, you know you had your 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 Batman fans, your your typical Bat fans who were like, "I love you, man. You wrote the best Batman. Your Batman is like who Batman is, man. No one gets uh-huh. Batman like you do." Grant but Morrison. People... Grant Morrison gets Batman really well. 
Keep talking. Don't start. Uh, sorry. Our, sorry. <laughs> You're undermining everything we say. <laughs> but one thing I, I noticed is that he, he did stand by his version of Batman, but people kept like asking questions like what he actually thought about Batman like before he, he did Dark Knight Returns and the, the, the mythos between Batman and Superman and these DC characters. He may have written and like changed Batman um, and made him super dark and, and all these things. But he still loves the legacy of DC Comics, he, like the hope he, and the joy yeah. of, of, of like these characters. Yeah, he actually made a positive statement about Adam West's Batman portrayal in the in the Batman. He made a positive statement about George Clooney's Batman. Yeah, he talked positively. Yeah, exactly. He, he stood said, up for he, all of those. He said, "He said, I think Batman can be interpreted in in like thousands and thousands of different ways." He's like. You know, Christian Bale's is, is is a good interpretation of Batman. Even George Clooney, I think, is a good interpretation of Batman. They're just all their different interpretations. And uh, he even said himself, like, and it's funny because you know, Batman Batman kills somebody in Dark Knight Returns. He's like, Batman should never kill a person. You know, and he talked about Superman, how much he loves Superman, and the ideas of Superman, and the hope and the joy that he brings. And he also he also dropped a scoop, which found it. Um, about his Superman story that he's working on right now, uh, which if you haven't watched the video, I'll go ahead and tell you that it's a uh, it is set in World War II. Well, and Superman, is shot, Superman is shot down over a village in France, and he's nursed back to health by the locals, and he helps defend them against a, a Panzer tank, which is like that sounds great. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm trying to get to is if it, this this all kind of got to change my whole outlook on Frank Miller, by the way. At least when it comes to DC Comics, um, is that it's good to upset the status quo, especially because sometimes upsetting it highlights why the status is quo. Yeah, it's it's kind of like in, in, in Eastern Christian theology, the idea of apophatic theology. Like you talk about God by talking about what God is not. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's an important thing sometimes to show the opposite of what it is. I mean, it's like... You know, it's like um, All Star Batman and Robin that he did with Jim Lee, which is, uh, is you know gained a, a degree of notoriety in the Batman um, world. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's ridiculous. It is a lot of people hate it. Um, it's a really negative interpretation and dark interpretation. I mean, he's supposed to be that the same was Batman. Actually, that was actually brought up in the Q and A. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be the same Batman from The Dark Knight Returns. Right. Um, but you know, but like at the same time, like that Batman character can only exist. Because the status quo Batman exists, and the, and the status quo Batman means something to people, yeah. you know. If there wasn't that, then we would just say, "Well, the man they went off the rails with Batman as a character." But like, you can only say it because you have a standard by which to judge the character. Right. And it's, um, it's, it's it really highlighted that it's like it's not his fault. He he told a great story, but people learned a wrong lesson, and they've been chasing right. that thing for like thirty years, and they're just now course correcting it. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Um, but. It was it was it was illuminating, and I had a kind of a whole new respect for him. Now, I, just really quick, I'm curious why you say that Grant Morrison has no idea is not a good uh, understander of Batman because like they, well he wrote a great Batman story. Oh, I, 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 I didn't say that. I, 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 I say that at all. I think he does. I think Grant Morrison is amazing. I actually really want to read his book. Um, Multiversity is amazing, Super, by the way. Super Gods is that the name of his book that he wrote? Uh, yes, I think so. I want that book. Um, I love Grant Morrison, but I, the reason why I said that is because someone brought up Grant Morrison. Apparently, he and Grant Morrison have a beef, or at least Grant Morrison has a beef with Frank Miller. And so I oh, brought okay. that up at the Q&A. And they're like, what do you have to say to Grant Morrison? He was like, I've never met him. Um, I, I, so, I, yeah, I've never met him, but I think he uses too many words. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah so uh, apparently, I, I guess Grant Morrison doesn't like Frank Miller. That's that's what I got out of it. Okay, I, I guess I can see that. But um, I mean, yeah. And okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I can I can give as far as as far as I'm concerned right now, I can give kind of my a confession and then my closing thoughts on this. Um, okay. My confession is I was a negative fandom toward Frank Miller until we heard him speak. Um, yeah, me too. I'm still not a fan of his portrayal, um, but I'm okay with that part of it. I am now a fan of the fact that he was incredible and talked about the different interpretations and why those are important and how he basically didn't intend his to be in any way, shape, or form the end-all, be-all of Batman. So the 
um, injustice of a movie we have, like Batman v Superman, is not Frank Miller's fault, is is what I learned prim- primarily from the Q and A. Um, and then, other than that, um, fandoms, and in this case, I will say, and also religion, um, could kind of learn a lesson in the same the same stories here that. I do believe it is important to stand up and fight for for your morals, for the things yeah. you believe are, are right and the things against the things that you believe are wrong in the world. But other than that, just be quiet and <laughs> see where the change goes. Stand up for what you believe is right and stand against what you believe is wrong, but allow change, allow the circumstances to take place and see where the story is going. If there is an injustice in that circumstance, stand up against that. But don't fight, complain, and argue for comfort. And stand up for what's right and allow the rest around you to, to see where it's to see where it's going. Go and, with it. And writing Captain America as a Hydra agent is not Injustice. <laughs> no, okay. it's a story. Wait and see where it goes. Now, if Captain America starts getting involved in completely immoral things, then yeah, be upset about it. But allow the story to go somewhere before you comment on it. Um, if Captain America in an issue says white males are the most important thing on earth and everybody else is scumbags, you can speak against that. It's okay. But even think about uh, the story. But allow, but in art, and story, see where it's going first. Um, and in life, stand up against the injustices. But other than that, just see where it's going. Just let it let let the story play out. See where life is taking you next, because the stuff you enjoy now only exists because change took place somewhere. My, so go with the change and see where see where it takes you. It's related to that. My 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 sensei when I was in martial arts for a little while. I had um, a sifu, not a sensei. I was kung fu. Oh, nice. I was in karate. Yeah, we don't like you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just um, total joke. <laughs> Um, but no, my, my sensei, um, I, I was in karate for like a year. So like, I'm not going to like sit there and like pretend like I have some kind of like great, like near Eastern wisdom or something. Um, but was, uh, he, he used to say to us, um, he say, remember that 90% of the questions that you have can be answered in time, which was a great way of telling a bunch of like kids, like just shut up and wait for the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of feel like that's just good wisdom in general that like, if you just wait a little bit. You know, give yourself, you know, and we live in a, an instantaneous world where we, all we can do is react, react, react. You know, I'm mad. I'm going to tweet about it. You know, just give it a moment. You don't have to say something at this moment. Give it give it a day, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I'm with you. Shut up. Well, and shut up and pay attention to actual injustice. Can, can, I, can I add to this? Of course. You're the moderator. This. Yeah. Well, uh, sometimes I like to ask because I'm, I'm nice. Um uh, like, like Father Chuck, I I, I think I, I agree with you guys, uh, but I also think catharsis is an important thing. I think uh, what really sucks is that you know you know back in the day when people uh, before social media was a real thing, before your MySpaces and your Facebooks, if people were mad about something, they started a WordPress site and they just ranted, right? You know, and they sent it to their friends. And, and, and they send it to their friends and so on and so on and so forth. Now, because social media, uh, if we're mad about something, we can complain to the person that's making us mad. And I think that's that's the injustice. Like, that's the part that we're telling people to shut up about. Like, stop lashing out. I think if people are, are, are angry and have issue, I think it's okay to, to, to meditate on it, but not to use it against other people. And, and maybe not I – don't, and I don't think Twitter and Facebook is the best place to do it. I think, I mean, I think it would be great if, I, if there was like a resurgence and people just opening crappy WordPress accounts and just ranting there. Or just writing kind of letters to the editor. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, and I think change, if, if you really want a progressive change, and, and, and I realize I'm walking a tightrope here because I'm a white straight guy addressing the progressives out there, the SJWs, if you will. I didn't mean <laughs> that. I hate that word. But that's the distinction I'm making. Uh, leave the artists alone and complain to the corporate people because otherwise you're taking the role of the corporate people by raining down your criticism on the artist. That's, that, that's my beliefs, at least. I, I think if, if you want more gay characters, you want more black characters, you want more women, 
the people we got to complain to are, are 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 the top brass. Yes, not the not not the artists. Leave them right. alone. Yeah, and I and I just want to say that yes, lack of representation in these fictional things of like minority characters and other things like that, like that is that is a justice issue. I think right. that is absolutely a justice issue. Whether or not Captain America is Hydra is not a justice issue. <laughs> Wanting your particular character to be a certain way is not a justice issue. Right. You know, um, and I think that's where we have to we have to be care we have to really be careful around this, you know, and, and really understand what justice is really about. And that's kind of the point that I was trying to make like a little earlier on about why we can't put our energies around like real injustices, because we get so caught up in these emotional reactions to these things that yeah, they matter to us and, and they do, but they're not like on a global scale, they don't matter. I think yes, absolutely. We do need to. I think I do agree with catharsis. I do agree with um, talking to the top brass. You know, these are the people with the purse strings. These are the people with the with the influence. They're the ones who oftentimes will tell creators who are actively trying to do things to say no. We can't do that, right? You know, because you know, I mean, it's like like in Hollywood right now. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we have such poor representation of black actors is because international markets. It's believed that international markets won't go see a movie with a black lead. You know that's 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 a that's a problem. Know. You know, like that 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 is that is unavow like uh, indisputably racist. I do love that one of the biggest like money making movies ever in history is centered around a black and a female character. It's just love it, and that is Star Wars. <laughs> it just took over the world. <laughs> right. Not a, only Star Wars, exactly, but there is a, a great there is a great franchise that is doing representation correctly. All races, all ethnicities. Still working on the sexual orientation, but we'll get there. Uh, Fast and Furious. All right. Fast and the Furious. Let's give it a Fast and Furious. F and F. Can I just point out that I think the funny thing about that, of all the things, is the package of those movies is ultra macho. <laughs> yeah. And it's really one of the most progressive like franchises. It is. They would it's right incredible. now. It's so funny. So. Perfectly. So I, I have to end with a shout-out and then a statement. My shout-out right. is um, I met a fan. I met another fan tonight, guys. Um, his name is Sam King. He came walking up to me, and he's like, hey, man, I want you to know I'm, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. And I was like, wow, thank you. Um, and then his next statement, JP, was, are you going to make the documentary about surfing? <laughs> so I am calling you out on this episode and telling <clears throat> That a fan approached me and they want the documentary bro, about surfing uh, bro, and the boards are, fear. The boards are waxed up and ready to go, yeah. bro. The, the ball's in your court. I told the man I am ready to face death itself for this podcast. Yep. I'm just waiting on our filmmaker um, to make this film. No, uh, no pressure. It's, no pre- it's, it's, don't you edit this out. I will tell everybody uh, it's there. Uh, <laughs> don't you do it. Uh, hey, uh, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so, there was a Jaws marathon this weekend. That's not funny. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, it's it's in what we call in the industry a development hell. Uh, but it's 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 being tended to. I'll I'll, I'll let the fans know about that. And we're gonna make it. It's gonna happen. And then the final thing, we're gonna final. be like Brian Griffin. Oh, sorry. We're gonna be like Stewie Griffin to your Brian Griffin in writing that novel. How's that? How's that? How's the documentary yeah, coming along? How's the documentary huh? coming? You how gonna, you, how you doing a, with that? Maybe, maybe a main character? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little inciting event? Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. some, uh, some storyboards? Storyboards yeah. made? Yeah. 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 Uh, can you use a joke, yeah. from, uh, use a joke from a different franchise? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to use someone else's joke? You're going to use someone else's joke? Oh, yeah. Just, just like Family Guy does just, every episode? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just deflect, JP. That'll work. Um, anyways, and then my final statement is for the... Any Whovians who happen to join us and are still listening right now, um, we are gonna do a Doctor Who episode. And a yes, shout sir. out to my a shout out to our other fan out there, Annie Meisner. Um, we are Annie. going to have you on it. So start studying because you're coming on to talk about Doctor Who. Oh yes. Because like JP, I pulled you into that franchise, and I know how big of a fan you are. I know because of the dirty looks I got you when I told you I get to go see the doctor, and you um, weren't going to see him. I, I know. I know you're a big fan. So no, we're coming for you too, um, Annie Meisner. We're we're coming. If you're if you're listening, yeah, you're going to be on it. Doctor Who episode is coming. Oh, also speaking of female guests, um, I did not have the opportunity to actually talk with her about it yet, but we're but I'm going to, um, and that is. Um, 
I, I have a guest who is a, I have a potential guest who is a preeminent Jane Austen scholar, um, one of our former professors at Palm Beach Atlantic University, and um, I want to talk to her about being on the show. Um, I had to read. Um, well, no, because what I'm interested in this, and we can talk about with the episode, but I'm really interested. I have to read. <laughs> one of the things I'm really interested in with this is because um, I've known her for several years. I was a work study under her at, at school, and um, um, I helped I helped do some some editing work on one of her books, and. Um, um, is this uh, is the idea that there is there's a, an active Jane Austen fandom with conventions and everything? That's incredible. Um, and I and I'm I'm really curious to hear more about that. Um, and so we can talk about that, and we can also ask her what her thoughts are on uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So there, yeah. we can do that. Look at you. You're starting to bring in the guests at my caliber. Like, oh, I brought us Rob Bell. You're finally bringing somebody to somebody <laughs> who can keep up. Congratulations. Remember, it's quantity for me. Quantity. Uh, that about wraps her up, guys. That's all the time we have uh, for this week's Masters of Divinity. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you joined us during the Fan Expo, welcome. And uh, we hope you enjoy uh, the rest of our episodes. Join us next week as we uh, once again journey into uh, the intersection of faith and pop culture or madness. I don't know. I don't know anymore. All of which we like to call nerdum. <laughs> Father Chuck, thank you. You're welcome. Matt Wells, thank you. You're so welcome. And I just want to say, <laughs> Alonzi, Geronimo, and Clara! And good job. Goodbye. Bye.